Well, good morning, church. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. You got to push past the masks. Okay, there you go. Uh, You know, some conversations you have, uh, they feel like they're over just right after they start. And then there are other conversations where you get wrapped up and you're visiting with this other person and, and it gets to the point where you've actually lost track of time. And once the conversation comes to a close, you look down at your watch and you, you can't believe uh, how long you've been talking. Last Sunday, uh, we focused on a conversation that takes place between God and his servant Moses. And you know it has to be one of those kinds of conversations where in the midst of it, Moses is losing track of time. Because first of all, I mean, here he is talking to God, the creator of heaven and earth, uh, and that's the kind of conversation where you're, you're not, you know, hoping that it's going to come to an end as soon as it starts. Uh, the other reason has to be that, that what they're talking about is this amazing, unexpected future. And it's not just a future that Moses is going to get to experience, but it's a future that God is promising to all of his people, to, to the entire uh, nation of the Israelites. And it's this future that's that's good, and it's grace-filled, and it's not a future that they deserve, but it's this future that God is promising to give them anyway. And we looked at the first part of that conversation a week ago. Today, we're going to go ahead and look at the, at the closing uh, section of that conversation. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 4. We'll start reading together in verse 1. It's right in the middle of this still-unfolding conversation. Moses asked God, what if the people don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it because that's what you do. Uh, You run from snakes that just suddenly appear at your feet. And the Lord said to him, reach out and take it by the tail. I don't know how he does this, but he does. Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who allows them to be deaf or mute? Who's responsible for their sight or their blindness? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I'll help both of you speak, and I'll teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. Okay, so the the foundation of what's going on here is something that I want us to 
to be clear on from the, the outset this morning, and that is that this is a real conversation. This, this is not God pretending to have a conversation with Moses. Right? This is an authentic back and forth that's, that's taking place. This is genuine give and take. And, and I know that, that you and I have had times in our lives where you know, someone's talking to us or, or they're talking at us and we can tell they're not really talking with us. Right? We're, we're, we're just being given a command. We're being told to do it. If we ask at all, we're usually told in these situations, uh, because I told you so. That's, that's not what's unfolding here. Right? God could choose to speak that way to Moses, but he doesn't. This, this is not some kind of you know, unquestionable list of demands God is making. This is not a divine directive where, where there's, there's no real space for Moses to have any questions or, or say anything back to God. This is not a, a list of commandments that are, are set in stone. Right? That, that's going to come later. But at this point, in this interaction, God has made the decision to have a real conversation with Moses. Okay, now I realize that, that we all have experienced real, where there's this honest sharing of ideas. There are adjustments that, that we make because of the conversation, right? We end up doing something differently or handling something differently because of, of this back and forth that we're experiencing with someone. I, I know we've all had those, those kinds of conversations before. I just want to make sure that we understand that God is freely choosing to communicate in this open and collaborative way when God doesn't have to. Because there's a, a, a kind of compare and contrast that Exodus is trying to get us to see from the beginning, and that is the difference between the king of Egypt and the king of heaven and earth. Right? The, the king of Egypt thinks he's the king of heaven and earth, and he thinks he has enough power to command people to do exactly what he wants, and that's exactly how it's going to go. But we've already learned in the first couple of chapters of Exodus that when the king of Egypt commands for certain things to happen, there are people all along the way who end up resisting that and doing something he doesn't expect, and then things don't turn out the way he wants. Right? And God, who does have the power to simply direct people and, and tell people what they have to do and there's no space for conversation, that God chooses to interact differently than he has to. God is not talking at Moses here. He's not just talking to Moses here. He is truly talking with Moses. And we need to grasp this because if we miss this, you know, you and I... We, we become, whether we realize it or not, we become more and more like the God we worship. We become more and more like the God we describe. And if the God we describe is a God that always uses power in a way that, that forces his way, then when you and I find ourselves getting some power, guess what we're going to be tempted to do with it? Right, we're going to force our way on other people. Well, God doesn't do that. And this is not the only place, but it's one of the clearest places where we see God making a choice. And I want us to witness it together because it teaches us something really important about God's character, about the nature of God and how God wants to relate to us. God wants co-workers, not a workforce. 
God wants partnership, not ownership. Now again, that's completely different than what the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, wants. Right? He, he absolutely wants the Israelites to be a workforce, a compliant, submissive workforce where the people do exactly what he tells them to do. He, he doesn't just want people who are working for him. You push it even further than that. He wants to own them. Right? He wants them to be slaves. He wants to be able to treat them like their physical property that he gets to take advantage of. He doesn't want to have to figure out how to treat them like flesh and, and blood human beings that he has to cooperate with. But thank God that our God, the king of heaven and earth, is nothing like the king of Egypt. He genuinely wants collaborative co-workers. He wants willing partners. God wants children he can cooperate with, people he can invite to serve alongside of him, not people he can force to serve instead of him. God never asks us to do something that he isn't willing to do himself. In fact, God is constantly, when God asks us to do anything, he's inviting us into getting to do what he's already busy doing. Right, as we see in Exodus chapter 4, God is already working to set his people free. It's just that here, in the, in the flickering light of the burning bush, God is simply giving Moses the chance to join him in that world-changing work of rescue and deliverance. Right, it's as if God says to Moses, look, I'm on my way, and here's what I'm about to do. Do you want to come with me? I want you to come with me. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to join me in doing what nobody else can do? That's the offer that God is making to Moses here, which obviously means that Moses has quite a decision to make. It is the most important, the biggest decision he's ever going to make. It's the kind of decision that you make that ends up impacting every other decision you get to make from that moment forward. And that's true whether Moses ends up deciding to say yes or no to this opportunity. And there is that possibility. Right? I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think the way it goes is the way it had to go. That it was always going to unfold this way. But there's something at stake here. You can tell in the way God is speaking with Moses and trying to, to meet him halfway and, and trying to help him think through the decision. There's a lot at stake here for God. God has chosen Moses. Come with me. Do, do you want to do what I'm about to do? Do, do you want to come alongside? And Moses has to make this decision himself. Now God's going to make his desire known. God's going to be straightforward about what he wants. But he's not going to make Moses do something that he's unwilling to do. So he has to make a decision. And it's, it's touch and go. I mean, there's a part of Moses that absolutely wants to accept God's call. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a, a part of this? Who wouldn't want to be in this story of rescue and deliverance? But then there's another part of him. I mean, he knows Pharaoh. He knows the power of Egypt. He knows what he's going to be facing if he accepts this invitation from God. And so there's a part of him that wants to go. There's another part of him that doesn't want to have anything to do with it. 
right? There's a part of him that's ready to pack up and leave that moment. There's a part of him that wants to run as far as he possibly can away from this opportunity, this chance of a lifetime that's going to define the rest of his lifetime. But God wants this to be a free choice, not a forced one. So they have this conversation that we just read. Right out of the gate, Moses brings up his first concern, and he, he, he says, look, what if the people don't believe that you're the one who sent me, God? And, you know, Moses knows that while God's people, his people, Moses' extended family, while they have been praying and hoping and waiting, I mean desperately, for God to do something, to to deliver them from their slavery, to rescue them from their suffering. They've been praying and they've been been looking for what shape that rescue and that deliverance is going to take. And what Moses knows is they haven't been expecting deliverance and rescue to look like him. I mean, the last anybody's ever heard or seen from Moses, he had tried to fix things. He got frustrated at the, the injustice of it all, and he'd lost his temper, and he ended up uh, taking this guard's life. And so he, he tried to fix things, and he only made things worse. And then he got afraid of how he was going to be punished because of, of the, the crime he committed. And, and so he leaves them high and dry. He runs out into the wilderness region of Midian. That's where he's been ever since. No, nobody knows what's happened to him. Nobody expects him to come back. And if he does, they expect him to come back you know, with his tail tucked between his legs, apologizing for how he had left them. To make matters even more complicated, he got to grow up in the royal household. Everybody knows it. And, you know, when you grow up in, in a royal household, especially in the ancient world, you, you don't have a lot of difficulties to deal with. You have all kinds of resources. You have every privilege, every advantage. And so here he's going to show up and tell a bunch of slave people that he's strong enough, that he's tough enough to be the one to lead them to freedom. And then you know there has to be people that point out that Moses wasn't just from a royal household. He was adopted into Pharaoh's royal household, which means is he really there to deliver them or is he some kind of double agent for Pharaoh trying to figure out where some kind of rebellion may come from? These are all very realistic possibilities and Moses knows it. Just why he says to God, what if they don't believe They've been praying for deliverance, God. You're telling me to show up and say, I'm, I'm the one that, that you've chosen to use to, to bring that rescue to them? What, what if they don't believe me? And God knows that his people are going to take some convincing at first. And so he ends up giving Moses these amazing signs that he can perform. Now, Uh, In the interest of time, we didn't read the the whole passage. So, you know, the first sign we did read about together, it's this this scary sign that I would only use in a last resort, which is to throw your staff down, right? And, And the way God starts this whole conversation, Moses says, look, what if they don't believe me? And God's response is with a question. What's in your hand, right? What do you have within reach? What's right there? It's a staff. He throws it down. It turns into a snake. God says, pick it up. He does. Okay, then he also uh, tells Moses, take your hand out of your, your cloak. And it's, it becomes covered in leprosy, which is one of the most frightening 
diseases that people in the ancient world were constantly trying to avoid. And God says, okay, take it out, put it back in your cloak. And, and so it's this amazing kind of visual experience that people are going to see where Moses seems to be sick and then he's healed all, all in just the blink of an eye. And then he says, if that doesn't work, you know what? Anytime you take water from the Nile and you pour it out on the ground in front of the people, it'll turn into blood. These are three visual signs that I'm giving you so that you can perform to the people so that if they claim that you're not the one I'm sending, this will convince them. You know, and I, I think we, we need to understand that God's answer to the question, how will people know that Moses is, is the one he's sending? Well, it's because it's going to be through Moses that people get to see the power of God. That's how they'll know. And the same is true for us. You know, I, I know we know this, but we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded often that there's a whole world of people out there who are enslaved to sin and sorrow and suffering and pain. And they need someone to show up and help them believe that they can be set free. That there's this new life of of hope and goodness and grace and love and joy and peace, that they can experience it, right? They need someone to help them believe it. They need someone to help them see it. And, and look, maybe they aren't exactly expecting us to be the ones who show up and reach out and then lead them into that, that new life. But they're waiting on someone and we know that they're waiting on us. They're waiting on God's people. Just like Moses, right? It may not be what anybody's looking for, but we understand that it's exactly what God is sending us out into the world for. You and I are being asked every single day, just like Moses, if we're willing to be a part of God's work to rescue and redeem and it, it, it's incredibly challenging. It's incredibly intimidating. The question that we've got to wrestle with, just like Moses has to wrestle with it, right, is, is that the kind of life we want to experience no matter the cost? Or are we going to make a different decision altogether? You know, you and I, we are constantly being called by God to let our lives be the place where people first witness the power of God. Now, maybe they'll witness the power of God in you when you give them a second chance when nobody else will. Maybe they'll witness the power of God in you when you keep your promise when everything in a certain situation is, is screaming out for you to break your promise. Maybe they'll witness the power of God in you when you dig deep and you manage to give more than you've ever given before uh, for people who are in desperate need and have nowhere else to turn. I don't know exactly when and where they're going to witness the power of God in you. I just know this, brothers and sisters, when they witness the power of God in you, it may be the first time they see it, but it won't be the last. Because we don't show up and try to convince people of the power of God. We show up and we show people the power of God. And once you see it, you start to see it everywhere. That's who Moses has a chance to be. It's, it's who we have a chance to be. But we've got to decide. Moses' next concern after God has, has answered that first question is, you know, um, 
it's, it's not so much what he's, he's thinking about when it comes to what people are going to see in, in him. He's, he's worried about what people are going to hear when they listen to him. You know, Moses understands that a, a key component of being a, a leader is communicating. And he feels pretty certain that he's not all that good at, at speaking, right? He's not all that good at communicating. And so he's nervous he's going to let God down because if he's not that good at speaking, then he's probably not going to be good enough at leading the way God is asking him to lead. And so he basically ends up saying, I don't think I have the skills to do what you're sending me to do. I know, right, that that you're wanting people to see your power through me, but they're also going to have to listen to me at times, God, and I am tough to listen to. I, I don't think I have the skills to do what you're sending me to do. Now, I can't speak for anyone else in this room, but I'm going to tell you, I relate to this, this kind of self-doubt, right? Where you, you have a sense of, of who God is calling you to, and you may have a sense of what God is calling you to do for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the world. But there's this part of you, there are these voices in your head that are saying, I'm not, what if I try my best and my best isn't good enough? What if I try my hardest and it's, it's just not enough? What if I don't actually have the skills it's going to take to lead people closer to God's heart? What if, what if I don't have what it takes to, to help guide people to this deeper engagement of God's mission? What, what if the raw materials I'm having to work with here just aren't going to work out? I think all of us, at one time or another, we know that, that collection of fears, don't we? We've carried those kinds of concerns when we feel like we're called to something that God is asking us to do for the sake of another and we see the size of what he's asking us to do and the kind of impact we're hoping to make and it scares us because we know that we just, there's a limit. There's a limit to how good we are. There's a limit to how much we're able to accomplish and we're afraid that it's gonna be our limits that end up limiting God. God asks another question. Uh, who is it, by the way, that gives human beings their mouths? Moses, I've forgotten. Right? It's, it's this, great, this great moment where, where God says, um, yeah, you know, I'm pretty well aware of the uh, raw materials that you're working with, Moses. I gave them to you. And I know you're worried about your abilities to do what I'm asking you to do. And I'm telling you, Moses, you're enough. And if I say you're enough, you're enough. You're going to have to trust me that if you don't currently have the abilities, I'll give you future abilities. But you might have to wait till the moment you need it to experience it. You know, I I think often in my own life, uh, I... I struggle with trusting that that God is going to give me the skills and the abilities I need when I need it. And I kind of get stuck in this, I would say, a preparation 
season and I, I can overthink it and I can get to the place where I'm just always getting ready to do something and there's always something new I, I need to learn or there's some, some new ability that I need to figure out how to do before I go. And God, it, it, God is saying to us as much as he's ever said to Moses, look, if you wait until you have every conceivable skill already under your belt, you're never going to go with me. Do you trust me? You know, when, when you and I get worried about whether or not we're going to be able to pull it off, what we're doing is we're, it's a waste of time. That kind of worry is we're trying to stack up our current skills and abilities against a bunch of situations that we don't fully know yet. But here's the part that we forget. We don't fully know yet exactly how God is going to empower and equip us when we get to that moment. All of us have practices. We have things we can do to further develop ourselves as servants, as co-workers, as partners with and for God. But we better learn how to go before we feel like we're all the way ready. And you know, I, I want to tell you this morning that too often I, I don't do that. You know, I, I struggle with it. I don't like the feeling of, of having to step out in faith not knowing exactly what I'm going to face and if I'm, I'm prepared for it. And that's something that I think we have to embrace because we know it's God's calling on our lives when we step out in faith to do something that, that we know. We don't know everything else, but we know this. We, we can't achieve it without God's help. Right? That. That's how you know you're getting ready to do something that's beyond you is you have the sense that you're, you're going to need the ability to do something you can't currently do yet. But you step out in faith anyway. Too often I, I try to do the math of what I think I can safely accomplish with my current abilities and, and skill levels. And, and what that means far too often is that I, I'm thinking way too small and I want to stop doing that. I want us to stop doing that. I, I want us as a church to step out in faith with the full conviction that we will absolutely fail. Unless God. Right? Unless God shows up unless God equips us, unless God gives us resources we don't yet have, unless God gives us an imagination we don't yet possess, unless God, we will, when we're following the way God is inviting Moses to be a part of this, when we're following the way Jesus invites us to be a part of what he's doing, we need to be comfortable with the idea that we will fail unless God. And God always always keeps his promises. God always delivers exactly what we need in the moment we need it. And sometimes, not a second too early. Okay. Moses has one last pushback. Uh, it's kind of the, the last thing he can ask. It's probably the biggest request he's making. Uh, and that is, please send somebody else. Please, just choose somebody else. And, you know, it cracks me up because it's like, it's like Moses is saying, look, uh, I believe you, God. I, I believe that, that you can show other people your power through me, and, and I, I trust that you're going to be able to help me do 
what you're asking me to do, even though I'm not already, you know, skilled enough to do it. But, I mean, as I think about what you're actually asking me to do, God, and, and I think about the challenges, and I think about how intimidated it's making me feel, I just, I just wonder maybe if you could consider someone, anyone else. Just pick somebody else to send, please. Now, I love the fact that as you read this in Exodus chapter 4, you don't have to guess how God's feeling about this final kind of concern or worry that Moses has, which is, again, it's, it's all tied to him, right? His skill, his ability, if he's enough, as it could be someone. It's all about his identity. And, and God's been patient enough to keep listening and keep responding. But this is really frustrating to God because God didn't accidentally choose Moses. I mean, that's how Moses is going to act in here. Like he was the only one in a you know, 50-mile radius, and God just kind of looked around and said, I'll pick that guy. No, God is choosing Moses because he's Moses. Now, sure, God is more than, than capable through his power to call somebody else, to choose somebody else, to, to partner with somebody else. But he's chosen Moses for a reason. And he needs Moses to understand that. He wants Moses to make the choice. But he needs Moses to understand how important the choice is to God. God needs Moses to see that. And you got to think, right, when God's response is, well, what about your, your brother Aaron, the Levite? you got to think there was a part of Moses that had a sense um, that it was like, not it, like to his brother, like, I'm out of this now, right? What about your, your brother Aaron, the Levite? It's like, yeah, okay, that's a great person to, to run through the ringer. I'll pray for him. Thank you for letting, giving me a way out, right? There, there has to be a moment where that takes place, but it's not what takes place because God isn't bringing up Aaron in order to choose him instead. He's, he's enlarging the team, right? He's, he's saying, no, no, no. I, I think the problem here, Moses, is, I, and I get it, you don't want to face the king of Egypt all by yourself, and all of the soldiers that he has within his command, like, you don't want to be there all alone. I get that. And you're not going to be all alone. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? What if, what if he joins you physically in that place where you're too afraid to go on your own? What about your brother? You know, I, I think it's so important for us to, to realize here that that's the question I think God asks us anytime. He's calling us, and, and one of the key problems is, is that maybe it's not just that the task itself feels like it's, it's too much for, for me uh, to accomplish, but it's just that I, I'm afraid to be alone in it, right? And, and I think God wants us to ask, what, well, what about your brother? What about your sister, what about this whole thing makes you feel like you have to be all by yourself in the midst of this? If, if you need someone else to help you, I'll bring you someone else to help you. Right? This isn't just a question of, of power being displayed. This isn't just a question of, of whether or not Moses has the right words. This is the fact that God wants Moses to understand that he's not alone. 
You know, I think like Moses, there's times where God calls us, and there may be just, there may be an aspect to this that we really relate to, right? Which is, could you just move on to another person? And instead of moving on to another person, God moves another person into position. Right? God moves a person into position to be there with us, to help us, to give us maybe the, the courage that we can't find on our own, to give us the confidence that we need, to, to help us hold on to hope when we're about to give up. If the reason we're too afraid to answer God's call is that we feel alone, God will always find a way to prove to us that we're not alone. You know, there's this strength that comes from standing together, right? Banding together as God's people. There's a strength that comes from that that's unlike any other strength. There's, there's this courage that comes from working side by side in the trenches that's unlike any other courage. God knows the, the, the unique strength and the unique courage that comes from a community of faith, of brothers and sisters who've all decided that they've been asked by God, called by God to be a part of something that's bigger than any single one of us and that there's too much at stake for us to look at the task of bringing rescue and deliverance and goodness and grace to all these people in the world who are still held in slavery, spiritual bondage, for us to look at all that and look at all those people and say, you know what? I can't do this. I'm not sure that I can, I can make this happen on my own. God says, yeah, you can't. And I've never asked you to try to do this on your own. I'm with you. Your brother's with you. Your sister's with you. We're in this task, this calling, this mission together. And when we forget that, when we feel isolated and alone, when we feel like, when I feel like it's all resting on my shoulders or you start to feel like it's all resting on your shoulders, that's when things start to fall apart. That's when we start to fall apart. There are people all around us who need rescue and I can't rescue them without God's help and your help. You can't rescue them without God's help and my help. This is the choice that's in front of Moses. It's the choice all these years later that's in front of us. It's the decision we have to make, and it's the decision that once we make it, it impacts every other decision we're ever going to make. So let's make the decision. Let's make the choice to be God's faithful co-workers together. Let's make the choice to be, to be God's willing partners together. Let's make the choice to be a church where God's presence and power is known and experienced visibly and tangibly by everybody who encounters us. Let's answer God's call, not alone, but together. And I promise you, when we do that, we can't even imagine the amazing things that are going to happen next. But you know what unlocks that future? God's good future? Us finding the courage, the, the strength to say yes. To say yes. We're going to sing together now, uh, and as we do, my prayer is that we find that calling from God to be something that we give anything to respond to. Let's sing together now.